Hi everyone, my name's Steve Tudor and welcome to the Friday Show. It's the show that is pleased to inform you there's only one more international break until March. On today's pod, we're looking ahead to Saturday's hosting of Burnley, a fixture that always gets the nerves jangling, mainly because the thought of Sean Dyche gloating and happy is just too much to bear. We'll also be doffing our caps at a player who won his 10th and 11th for England this past fortnight, a generational talent who we have obviously praised to the rafters many times before in the pod, but not like today. Today, we'll all be rising for the Stockport Iniesta. To do this, I'm delighted to be joined by two Friday favourites. It's Ali and Asan. Hi, Ali. You all, pal? I'm very well indeed, thanks. Yeah, it's a beautiful day here in Manchester. Enjoying the sunshine. I'm hearing rumours that people are flying in from Ibiza to just to enjoy the weather <laughs> here in Manchester. <laughs> <laughs> the rumours are true. <laughs> when are you uh, coming over, Asan? Um Monday. Monday, right. So you're looking forward to it? Um, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing my parents, uh, who I've not seen since COVID started, uh, and seeing my brother, who I've not seen since I got married a year and a half ago, something like that. Yeah. Uh, but I'm not like I'm not mad keen on travelling. I'll just be honest. Like I've, I find myself. I woke up this morning early, anxious, and I couldn't figure out why I was anxious until. I realized, oh, right, you're anxious because I've got to get on like four planes in the next two weeks, basically. Yeah. Yeah. And I've got to do that, the sort of traveling that I've not done since COVID started. Um, so I'm I'm nervous about it, but at the same time, I'm like, I'm going to have to suck it up. Do you know what I mean? It's a stressful business travel. I mean, the holidays are a stressful business. They're just a dichotomy, aren't they? It's like, oh, let's go away for two weeks and relax. And then you get mm. back and you're absolutely knackered. <laughs> <laughs> right, let's start today with uh, a recent development, actually. It only came to light yesterday, which is the injury to Ferran Torres. Um, I am not as angry about this as you two. I am obviously as disappointed in the, in the injury, which means he's out for up to six weeks. Um, I'll throw it over to you first, Ali. Um, what was your thoughts when it first came to light? I should say that you know the injury was picked up on international duty and that he had an anaesthetic in his foot. Um, to play against France in the Nations League final, and consequently, it's it's exacerbated his injury. So, uh, Ali, your your thoughts on that? Yeah, okay, the first thing to say is I'm going to try not be too hypocritical about this because I enjoy international football. I I support my own team. Um, after the kind of week that Scotland have had, you know, if um. If Scott McTominay and, and Andy Robertson were to go back to their clubs with hamstrings twanging like a, a rendition of dueling banjos, then I would not lose a moment of sleep. Uh, so, yeah, I, I can't get too much on my high horse about a City player coming back from international duty injured. Um, the one thing that uh, I, I think is a huge problem with international football is that the players, the management and the medical staff do not really have any motivation to to uh, mm. look after players. Um, and the fact that Torres apparently broke his foot in the first game of the international break and then went on and played the second game, well, presumably he didn't know that he'd broken a bone, you know, be, be clear about what, what happened. But he did know he had pain and he must have known he was injured. Um, and this is coming... Yeah, you know, just a, whatever, a week or two after learning that one of the reasons Kevin De Bruyne was out for the first six weeks of the season was because he'd had painkilling injections in his ankle 
uh, in the Euros, which had led him to you know, seriously aggravating an injury, which could have got better much quicker otherwise. Um, and I think this issue with international football, where players go away, and yeah, we all understand players get injured, whether in training or, or in matches, and it, it's part of the game. There's absolutely nothing you can do about it. And unless we want to wish away international football altogether, we just have to put up with that. Uh, but this business of, of players actually aggravating injuries when we know full well if it was the city medical staff that were there looking after them, they would not have been allowed to play those games. They, they wouldn't have been pushed through. And of course, players want to play international football. They're desperate to play for their country and they don't want to be letting their manager down and, and risk not getting picked next time if, if they don't play or whatever and understand all of that. But that's kind of why players need to be protected more in these circumstances rather than less. And yeah, and I, I don't want to be too... Yeah, like a 1980s United fan about it with Brian Robson. But, uh, yeah, I've become the man, what was it, the, the James lyric? I've become the kind of man I always hated. That's the one. Um, so yeah, let, yeah, I don't want to get too much of my high horse about it, but I am really annoyed. Uh, and I think, you know, between, uh, the, the Premier League clubs or between, you know, the, the club football and international football, they need to sort this out because it's absolutely not right that players are, are actively aggravated and harmed in their injuries when they're playing for their countries. It shouldn't happen. Yeah. I mean, it instinctively feels like, you know, a wrongdoing has taken place here that someone is to blame, that someone should be criticized. Um, who should that be, Azan? Um, I mean, look. You can you can share the blame around. I think that, uh, firstly, I think that there has, I think there should be some sort of rule that uh, that says that players can't play when they're injured mm. because I think that wheeling a player out who's injured with pain killing injections is just a dereliction of duty in terms of player care and all that sort of stuff. In terms of blame itself, I mean, look. You blame the player, the medical staff, and the coach in equal measures, and the federation. Because I, I get the fact that there is a lot of pride in playing for your country. And I get the fact that there's a lot of pressure, particularly in what we would consider to be big games. And for whatever reason, the Nations League has become a big game. Um, but at the same time, we, the club's, pay the players' wages. Yeah. Um, that's the first thing. And really, that's that's not... My issue at the root of it, and will always remain the same, is that if a player is injured, a player is injured. And sticking an injection, a pain-killing injection in him so that he could play in an international game when he's got an entire season of football to be played with a club just seems really out of order and over the top and I'm surprised I'm surprised at reading Kevin De Bruyne's interview last week or the week before where he said oh if I'd have known then uh what the effect would be of playing with the painkilling injection maybe I wouldn't have done it Kevin you're pushing 30 lad you've been playing professional football since you were a young teenager you know exactly what happens if you have a bad injury and somebody goes hey you know what i'll give you an injection then you can play it's that it's it's hard to i've got no love for for bobby martin as everybody knows that but it's hard not to look at somebody like de bruyne and go that's on you mate it's, it's, there's very little point in turning around afterwards and going, oh, well, if I'd have known that it would have been this bad. Well, you know that nothing good will come from it. 
You know that you won't be able to play at your best. You know that the injury that you're hiding will probably get worse. I mean, those are two of the main reasons why no player should ever do it, in my opinion. And I, you know, it kind of, it kind of makes me cringe because I think that it's uh, it's a relic from the old days. In the old days, when football was about men being men, yeah, yeah, yeah. they'd uh, they'd wheel themselves out and there'd be some pride in it. And there are some coaches from that era who treat footballers like that. Um, but I just think that with the, I mean, if you look at the amount of money at stake in the Premier League, if you look at the amount of money that footballers have played, if you look at how the kind of how high level the game has become, how physical and technical it's become, the players have to look after themselves more. And stuff like this is just, yeah, I mean, the, it, for me, it's very self-explanatory why it should never happen. I understand why it happens, but Again, to go back to responsibility, even somebody like Ferran Torres, when you fracture a bone, you know that you've hurt yourself. I did tiny fracture in my little toe, right? I know the amount of pain that I was in whenever something touched it. So the idea that like he just had no idea that this injury was even serious and he's gone and played another game is frankly nonsense. I suspect that the same thing happened with him that happened with De Bruyne, that he had pain. He said, it hurts. The doctor went, I'll give you an injection for that. And he went, do it because I want to play. Now you're out for six weeks. And, you know, th this this moment in his career at City could have been a really big moment. We haven't yeah. got a striker. We obviously rate him. Pep obviously rates him. He could have played a lot of football, and now he's out for nearly two months. And who knows who will be in the team and when he'll get back in it again once he's fit. So, yeah, it's just really disappointing. There's a damn fine point um, at the end there about Torres and, and how it's, you know, kind of put his nose off to spite his face in a big way really as regards to his future at City or his short term future at least at City because um, yeah six weeks down the line it could be a very different landscape indeed totally. and he could just you know spend the next few months on the bench um, Ali would, would you do it would you because clearly this is a big game for Spain Nations League final it was a semi-final I believe wasn't it with Belgium in the in the Euros when, yeah. when De Bruyne played so let's say it, it's a playoff you know to reach a major final for Scotland you're, you're a City player. You know, as Aston said, of course you know when you fractured you know, your, your, yeah. your toe. Um, and you know, of course, being a professional sportsman, what those consequences will, will be from playing on and playing for another 90 minutes. Would you do it? I think we have to allow for just how hard people try to persuade themselves that something is okay when they really mm. want to do it. Uh, you know, I, I, we could say... Isan is absolutely right about you know Kevin De Bruyne is old enough and long enough in the tooth that he should know exactly what's going on and, and even Ferran Torres at a relatively young age is still a, you know he's a professional he should know what he's doing. Um, when you really want something to believe, when you really want to believe something to be true, it's very easy to convince yourself, oh, it'll be fine, it's not that bad, it's just a bruise, um, or whatever, you know, whatever rationalization you might need. And and I think players do need to be protected from themselves. Uh, in those circumstances, um, because people are irrational and stupid, whether professional football players or not. Um, so I think I do. Um, I would look to the management and medical staff, particularly medical staff, 
much more than the players because I just kind of assume that players will do themselves unnecessary injury um, at the old time. You know, it's, it's like coming off, uh, you know, asking the manager to, to get yourself substituted when you're in the middle of a key game. We all know that players try and stay on and try and play through when they shouldn't, when they should just put their hand up and, and do the little, the, like, circling hands gesture to come off. Uh, so I don't... I don't know what I would do in those circumstances, but I wouldn't put money on me being the most uh, you know, rational and sensible person about it because, yeah, I know for well I can be incredibly self-destructive in all sorts of other ways, and I'm sure if I was a professional footballer, I would, I would be self-destructive in those ways too. Uh, so I do think it's an institutional and a structural issue that, you know, the, the, the systems just need to be better to protect players themselves. I think the other thing that needs to be pointed out um, is players and the managers particularly should be aware uh, that they're costing themselves too. I mean, um, De Bruyne did not play well in that semi-final with his injured ankle. Um, Torres did not play well in the second game on Sunday because they were both playing through serious injuries. Yeah. Um, and they probably couldn't feel their own foot because it was completely numb. And I'm, so bizarre. Yeah, get, I'm, not a, I'm not a professional footballer, but I cannot believe that it doesn't have an impact on, on how you kick the ball and, and how you, you know, feel what you're doing uh, when, you've, when you've been you know, given a, a local anaesthetic in, in your ankle or your foot. Um, so, uh, and, and of course... Uh, at least as far as I don't know about Belgium, but at least as far as Spain is concerned, they've got a couple of qualifiers coming up in November, and Ferran Torres will be missing for those too. Um, now I don't know how much quicker his you know fracture might have healed had he not played that second game or tried to play that second game. Um, I'm guessing it probably did add a couple of weeks. Maybe he would have been back in time for Spain uh, in their in their next matches. Um, had they not done this. So uh, no one benefits from it. It's never a good idea. Um, I do think people are, you know, players will, will do the wrong thing um, when their heart is, is telling them to. Um, that's part of football. And I, I think, I think they have to be protected. And the people that really should know better above all are the, the medical staff, the doctors and physios. It's down to them ultimately. Well, I, I can't believe they don't have any responsibility to communicate with the club because yeah. it is, you know, a player belongs to the club. You know, he's paid for by the club. And, and so if that player is injured on international duty, surely it is beholden on, on you know, the, the, the staff there for Spain to inform City and say, you know, your player is injured. There's some lovely music playing there. Lovely, <laughs> that. Who was that? It wasn't me. It must have been Ali. I've muted it. It was uh, it was me, um, and my wife. I think has just started playing uh, lovely piano music in the Sonos system, which is with the speakers going through the house. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. <laughs> um, we've been known to rickroll each other with this exact uh, <laughs> stereo system. So like, gonna... <laughs> let me just. There we go. Oh, it was nice, but uh, it was lovely, uh, genuinely very soothing. <laughs> we should have that throughout the whole pod. I, <laughs> I think it would, uh, it would improve all of our Friday pods significantly. Then but there we go. <laughs> Especially because we talk about a player being injured, quite sad. It, it was, it was very nice. <laughs> Let's move on to Raheem Sterling. Um, he spoke at an FT Business of Sport uh, US Summit this week. Uh, again, this, this came to light yesterday. He said, uh, if there was an opportunity to go somewhere else, I would be open to it. I've always had something that um, 
I've always had something that maybe one day I would love to play abroad and see how I meet that challenge. Um, and of course, he's not getting much game time at the moment. People have put two and two together. Um, hey, Sam, have they come up with four? Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I think that Sterling, because he's such a high-profile player, um, any any kind of comment like that is rightly going to end up uh, with a headline and on the back pages. I don't really think it's that controversial mm. what he said. You know, I mean, you know, he... I think if you look at the, I, I, I made a point of going and reading all the quotes. And if you read all the quotes, I've seen a lot of people say, well, you know, if he wants to play more, he should probably accept that he's been shit. And if you read the whole thing, he kind of does allude to the fact that, you know, he's not happy when he's not playing football, but he's also not happy when he's not playing well. Mm. Um, and I think that's a little bit of a tacit acknowledgement that maybe his form has hasn't been great. Um, but ultimately, uh, he's got, what, 18 months left on his contract? I, I think it might be the end of City and Sterling in, in the next 18 months. And, you know, after after all of the trophies that he's won and all the goals that he scored, I'm all right with that. Do you know what I mean? I'm not really... Uh, I know there's a lot of people who, who like to worry about the money. I'm not really that bothered. I'm not an economist. Like if Sterling goes on a free, he goes on a free. If they sell him next summer for peanuts, they sell him next summer for peanuts. It kind of is what it is. One thing I'll say, we certainly need him between now and the end of the season, particularly with Torres being injured. I think uh, we've, we've conditioned ourselves to look at Sterling only as goals and go, well, he's been terrible. He's, he's barely scored in, in the last year. Um, but I think there's a lot more to his game than that. And there's a lot of what he brings on the pitch that we're going to, as I say, we're going to need between now and the end of the season. Um, mm. So, yeah, I mean, I'm a bit, I think with the whole Sterling thing, I've kind of I've seen this coming. I think when you, when you get dropped by Guardiola, it's a difficult thing to come back from. And I think a guy like Sterling with his reputation, um, with his quality, with him being in the situation that he's in with his contract, not playing in the last half of last season. Yeah. Only really playing the kind of dead rubber and the irrelevant games. It was always going to have an impact. So um, yeah, I mean, uh, I guess we'll see what happens uh, next summer, but just briefly, let me ask both of you a question. Would either of you be shocked if he ended up signing a new deal at sea? Uh, I'd be surprised. I wouldn't be shocked. I, I kind of feel like this is the end game now. Um, yeah, me too. So, yeah, so I would be surprised. But, I mean, I was going to ask, ask Ali, actually, kind of if this situation can be turned around, if, you know, you, you, you said to yourself, Aysan, how important Raz is in the next kind of 12 months. So let's say he just goes an outstanding run of form, which of course is more than capable of doing. He's done so many times before. Or, Ali, would it mean that if Raz basically gets back into the first team, plays regularly, plays brilliantly, the club then starts to think, right, well, we can get a decent amount for him this summer. And Raz himself is thinking, right, I've played myself back into onto the radar of whoever it may be, Real Madrid, etc. So, might it be a case of, you know, we're damned if we do, damned if we don't now, and Raz is going, do you think? I think any of those 
possibilities or any of those options or possibilities. Um, I could I could easily imagine any of them happening. I, I do remember uh, Raz giving an interview a bit like this once before. Yes, um, yeah. it was about six months before he left Liverpool to come to, <laughs> to, come to Man City. Um, and uh, I remember the Liverpool fans absolutely uh, hitting him for it and, and were a lot less generous towards him at the time than we are being now. Um, and probably for all the all the reasons we've just given, including you know the amount of service that he has given to the to City since then. Um, I think the most likely thing is that uh, this interview was set up or actively encouraged by whoever is advising Raheem Sterling. I don't know what his who who his agent is and, and what his uh, back team is is all about. He doesn't have an agent, does he not? Uh, no, no, I, no. He's. Uh, um, I think he's dealing with a lawyer, and uh, Rock Nation are helping him. But he's oh, very much yeah. a man of his own mind. Yeah. No, sure. This, this does feel like an interview that's been uh, timed to move the conversation along. Mm. Um, now, I think it's quite likely that um, Raz has been listening to chatter both from outside and inside the club about the possibility of him moving. Um, there were there were whispers coming out from the club that he, he they might be prepared to, to let him go over the summer. Uh, there was talk of Arsenal and other places. And, of course, um, whenever there's any kind of chatter about um, Barcelona, Real Madrid, those kind of clubs around a player, um, it will turn their head. And you know, if you're Raheem Sterling and you're struggling to get a game and you hear that you know one of the really big glamour clubs in Europe, and I, we all know what's going on in Barcelona and, and you know, <laughs> particularly that, that option might not be quite as enticing as it was a couple of years ago, but it's still Barcelona. Um, and when that chatter's kind of going on, I don't blame players for... for at least putting themselves in the middle of the conversation. Um, and if he is now saying, well, you know, I, I love this club, I want to play for this club, uh, but if I can't play for this club and other, other clubs want me to, to go and play for them, then of course I'm going to listen. Um, it is what happens when players get into the last uh, two years, 18 months, one year of their contract. It always happens. It has to happen. Uh, I... Uh, I wouldn't be at all surprised if uh, Raz was to get himself back in the team and go on a, a run of his best form. Uh, suddenly, all this conversation kind of goes away, uh, and lo and behold, as you say, Steve, in, in six months' time, he, he gets a new contract. Um, but everything is pointing it towards me, this being at least the beginning of the end game, as I think one of you said earlier. Um, it feels like people are getting their... You know, getting their men on the board in in the right places to to work towards a, a resolution, uh, and uh, I think I'm okay with that. I, yeah, I'm I'm immensely grateful and and uh, full of love for Ryan Sterling and everything he's done for our club and as a man. Um, and if he were to move on, it would be sadness, but with a lot of understanding, I think. So let's see how it plays out. And I do, one thing I will say is I, I do not have any um, resentment or hostility to Sterling for what he said or any of the quotes in the interview. Yeah. Um, I think everything is absolutely fair game from his point of view, and he's behaving fairly responsibly about it. I completely agree with it. There are ways to go about it. And basically, as you as you summed up perfectly, Ali, it's about getting your men on the board and getting it all in place. And that's just how it is these days with every footballer and with every club. Um, and yeah, when if and when he leaves, 
uh, it'll be with nothing but good feeling from all Blues because, I mean, you said at the top, uh, Ali, you know, you, looking back to the uh, time with Liverpool, we're not Liverpool fans. <laughs> That's what it comes down to. <laughs> That's a big difference, I think. Um, okay, let's look ahead to um, this weekend's game. Um, Burnley at home. Um, we've played last four games at the Etihad. have ended 5-0. And yet it's still, there's an uneasy feeling with me because it's Burnley. <laughs> uh, should I should I be feeling uneasy, uh, Asante? How, how are you kind of anticipating this game to go? Well, the first thing I've got to say is that when I uh, when I invited myself onto the Friday show, um, it was because we were going to talk about Foden, and then I realised afterwards, wait, <laughs> they're playing Burnley, and it's been quite a while since I've had a little Sean Dyche ramp. So, and oh, oh, where you go, <laughs> he, he he is still there, right? He's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You know, he's like. Cock, he's like a cockroach, man. There'll be like a nuclear, there'll be like some type of nuclear fallout and Sean Dyche will still be sat in the dugout in Burnley. Um, should we be apprehensive? I think I think this season, uh, these games are going to be more, not more of a challenge than, than the kind of top six head-to-heads, but I think that stubborn teams with a very low block, um, is where City are going to have to do next-level footballing things to score goals because there isn't going to be space. And without space, you either need magic, yeah? And if, if we've not got a guy that's going to score a goal out of nothing, then we have to play at a really, really high level. So, yeah, I'm I'm apprehensive insofar as all of these games are must-win if you want to win the title. Um, and, yeah... A stubborn Burnley team can prove to be a headache. Now let's let's not beat about the bush. They're shite. They are. They really are. At the moment. Yeah. yeah. So it's you know it, even on my scale of apprehension on a one to ten scale of of apprehensiveness, I'm I'm only really at four or five here because. You know, I'd be I'd be bitterly disappointed if we didn't slap that team just all over the pitch. Um, so yeah, that's my that's my hot take on on Sean Dyche's Burnley. They're shite, and we should slap them all over the pitch. Well, we've, we've certainly slapped them about a, a good uh, while in, in the past. What was it now? We lost one in the last twenty seven years. Sorry, the last twenty seven games, uh, which goes back to nineteen seventy five. Like I say, the last four occasions it's had five nil. Um so we do slap them about. We have got kind of form for that. Um Gundo's back. Uh Zinchenko very possibly is back. That's not confirmed at this point. Um obviously Torres is out, but Torres aside, uh we go into it with a relatively kind of you know clear of injuries, which is great after an international break. Um Ali, what kind of lineup are you anticipating? And will Bruges away be a factor coming just three days later? Yeah, I don't know. Um, I honestly don't know what kind of lineup we should be expecting. Uh, I presume not just Bruce, but the fact that uh, so many players had quite a demanding yes, break yeah, yeah. a lot of minutes. Um, the the players who didn't, or you know, uh, Torres aside, the players that uh, haven't played since last weekend. So you know, the uh, Rodri and, and Kevin. Hopefully, um, they've had a bit more of a break. Uh, but it will be. We're talking about. Keep talking about medical staff, but yeah, you know, part of it will be the their uh, 
the assessment of their fitness and, and you know, how, how completely free of injury and, and firing and ready to go everyone is. And we don't know about that at the moment. It always feels a bit odd when players come back from the national break because sometimes they come back absolutely full of confidence and raring to go. And others, they come back looking knackered and I'm never quite sure which one yeah. we're going to get. Um, I do think to go back to, um, you know, Burnley being shite and we're going to slap them around. Uh, I think we should acknowledge that they do look to be uh, more shite than the Burnley that we slapped five exactly. every yes. other time. You know, yeah. they, I think they've gone backwards this year. Um, so, so it's very difficult for us as, as City fans and observers to sit here and, and think anything other than the fact that we're going to they're shite and we're going to slap them around. Um, but it's football, and football's never quite like that. So uh, who knows what will turn up. Tell you what I was thinking, Don, and it's a uh, quite an amusing little uh, intellectual exercise. Um, if you are Sean, uh, Sean Deitch or one of the Burnley players that's been there a while, um, and you're going into this match... You've got to be thinking, whatever else happens, we cannot lose 5-0 again. Yeah. And then I think, psychologically, if you're going into a football match and the the one overriding thought you've yeah. got is, we cannot lose 5-0, <laughs> what an absolutely catastrophic way to begin you know, from from a, you know, the, you know, the, your emotional well-being and all the rest of it. Because um, you know, apart from this, there's the there's that thing where you... you yeah, whatever you don't think of a white bear, you know, like it, yes. when you're trying to see, trying to make something not happen, it suddenly becomes much more likely that it will happen. There's almost like the the, the five mil is kind of, um, you know, if it gets to two or three, then immediately they're thinking about the fifth goal. Um, and I, I, it must be incredibly difficult as a manager, you know, like, absolutely no sympathy for Sean Dyche in any way whatsoever. Uh, but it must be incredibly difficult for a manager to to run that team talk because you have to just not mention. The only way you could do it is just not mention the fact that the last four times we've come here, they've slapped us around five, exactly five nil every time. Because uh, it, it's freakish, but they will all be thinking it. We know they will all be thinking it. The the, the overriding thought will, we must not lose this five nil. Um, and I don't know how you, I don't know how you win a game from that. But to, sorry, to get back to your question, um, it's a, so tricky team lineup. If we assume that you know, uh, Torres aside, everyone is fit and fit and available, um, I would like us to be getting back into the swing of something like our very first team. Um, I think going, we've got to play Bruges twice and, and other games coming up. Um, I'll be honest, the, the game that I'm looking forward or not looking forward to, and the game I'm thinking about now is already the Derby. Um, and uh, over the next what was it, three weeks, uh, I want us to be getting up to a, a position where we're as close to our first team being fully fit and firing and, and working as a, a finely tuned machine as possible. Uh, so I'm quite happy to use this Burnley lineup and this Burnley match as a stepping stone towards it. Um, if, for example, someone like Bernardo, who has just put in an enormous amount of miles over recent weeks, was to be given the game off, I would be absolutely delighted. Yeah, um, yeah. Even if, um, you know, if Fernandinho comes in and, and gets 90 minutes or, or even 60 minutes just to keep uh, keep some minutes in his legs, I'd be happy with that too. Um, but by and large, I want something like our first team. I want to see that our first team is ready and, and everything's working. Um, and, I, and I'd probably rather use the Burnley game for that than anything else. Spoken like a proper Bert. <laughs> <laughs> 
Just looking ahead to the derby weeks from now. And what do you anticipate the kind of front three will be? Um, who do you think Pep's going to go with? Mares, Sterling, Grealish, I think will be the front three. Um, I think Jesus, the the Brazilians, they they what their game finished forty six hours before yeah. um, Burnley game kicks off. I expect Edison will end up starting anyway because he's a keeper, but I just don't think Jesus will will play. Uh, so I think that yeah, I think I think that's what the, the front three will be. I guess for me, when I look at when I look at this week. What I, what I'd like to see is I'd like to see John Stones get a game for City. Um, yeah, I think it's important for him to at least get a game or two in his legs and to show the form and the quality of last season. Not that Laporte's done anything wrong, but you still need the players to. Do you, do you know what I mean? Like you, you, it, it's the perfect week with Burnley and Bruges. Um, to pick one of those two and go right, Stones, you lad, you're starting this game. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and then his then his season for City is up and running. Um, I think similarly, I look at Zinchenko, and if he's fit and he's back, then I'd like to see him get a game. But outside of that, everything that we have, every, all of the squad that has played so far this season has played at such a high level that it'd be churlish for me to go, I want to see him and not him or him and not him. Do you know what I mean? Like whoever whoever they pick, I think will be quality. Yeah, I think it does come down to ultimately who's the fittest and who's, you know, in most need of game time as well, such as, as, as Stone. So, um, yeah, we'll, we'll see. It's so always so hard to predict, particularly after an international break. Mm. Let's end today with um, some overdue praise. I mean, as I said at the top of the, the, the pod, you know, of course we've praised Phil Foden many times over on this pod. And of course it's obvious that the three of us adore the lad and everyone listening in will adore him too. But I don't feel we've given enough time to, to what we have here. Just this generational talent from Stockport. It's bizarre. It's absolutely crazy. First we get the kind of the takeover and then we get Phil Foden and it's crazy to be blessed twice over. Um, I'll start with you, Asan. Something what really kind of intrigues me actually and, and, and you know, I'll, I'll come to you as well, Ali, on the same question. When he broke through, and particularly in the under-17s World Cup, um, clearly he was going to be a superstar. Clearly he had, he had everything. He's still developing, of course, but Aysan, do you think at this stage of his career, is he meeting your early hopes or is he even exceeding them? Oh, he's he's he surpassed them yeah. um, with that third goal at Anfield last season. Mm. Um, I think that for me, I like... You can ne- you can never know with young players. You, there's plenty of players who at 15, 16 look like they're going to be world beaters and yeah. then disappear. Um, so the challenge for Phil was always going to be to take the potential that he clearly had as a young player and translate that into the first team. I think the scary thing for me is I think you can have all the talent, but it's really what's, what goes on between your ears that, that decides whether or not you will be successful. Um, and the thing about Foden, and that's why I referenced that goal at Anfield last season, Phil is fearless, right? And he is the 
opposite of Raheem Sterling in that when Phil does something wrong or Phil misses a pass or he misses a shot, he wants the ball back immediately because he knows that the next time he's not going to make that mistake. Mm. And you see him, like, I feel as though we've watched him get better in front of our eyes in games. If I think about the run in the Champions League last season, he was a better player at the end of the Champions League final than he was at the start of the first knockout game that he played. And that's because, again, not a dig at Sterling, but Foden takes the big occasion and allows that occasion to make him better. He leans into it. And that's, as I say, talent is one thing, right? But mentality, intelligence, um, emotional maturity on the pitch, that th those kinds of things, I don't know if you can learn those. I think you just either have them or you don't have them. And he's he's got them in spades. Just to reference something you said at the top of like, We've praised him, but we've not praised him enough. I completely agree with you. I think that if Phil Foden, and I think this is more of a, a wider thing, if Foden plays for certain other football clubs, right, um, and I mean that all over the world, if he comes through the academy at Barcelona, if he comes through the academy at United, if he comes through the academy at Liverpool, and he does what he's doing for City, it's wall-to-wall, -wall, you know, because... Right now, people aren't really saying it. Phil Foden is, by some distance, the best player England have, and by some distance, the best player England have produced in my entire lifetime, and I'm 45 years old. Mm -hmm. There isn't a player who's got everything that Foden has. There hasn't been a player who's got everything that Foden has. When people make comparisons to Gascoigne, it's massively disrespectful, right? Phil Foden is, again, you can have all the talent at your feet. It's what goes on between your ears. It's all, it's the, it's the entire makeup that makes the player. And Phil right now has it all. And he's 21 years old. I mean, you know, he's, he's just beyond it's, this goes beyond generational because even that term, it gets, it gets it did. About. It felt like I was underplaying it, saying it. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. It, it gets bandied about for loads of players. Like, you know, I'm I'm not just saying this. Maybe, obviously, I'm biased that because I'm from Stockport and I'm biased because I'm a City fan. But honestly, is there a just full stop who are the better footballers in the world right now? Lionel Messi is probably a better footballer than Phil Foden, right? Who else is actually a better footballer than Phil Foden right now? It's a difficult one. He, he sits in a very, very, very special place. And again, part of the reason for that is, like Roy Keane said, you, you put the lad at left back, right? And he'll do some madness and he'll affect the game. He can play literally anywhere and he'll affect the game. It is... Who I was having a conversation with somebody recently where I was trying to explain to them that like Phil's like clinicalness in front of goal, his ability to finish, that alone makes him world class. When you put that 
in conjunction with his technical ability, with his dribbling ability, with his his pace, you know, with his agility, like he's... I, I, I can't remember the last time that a footballer came through and I watched them do what I see Phil do. So, you know, you're right. He, the lad doesn't get enough praise. And I think in a way, maybe that's not a bad thing in the sense yeah. that City have handled him well, Pep's handled him well, they've kept a lid on him. They've not, you know, they didn't do the the Rooney United thing of just like, you know, he's 17, but you're going to play every single game because you're the, you see what I mean? Like they've they've managed him really well. Um, they, they almost made him like hungry by making him train with all those players and not play a lot. And that hunger now we reap the rewards of it because now every time he takes the pitch, he wants to show I, in fact, he's gone from, I want to show that I deserve to be on this pitch to, I want to show that I'm better than everybody on this pitch. And he does it every time he takes football pitch. Can you pay a player a bigger compliment than that? Every game that he plays in more or less, he's the best player on the pitch. Yeah, it, it's astounding how often he is the best player on the pitch. And for someone of his age, I mean, you said that, you know, the amount of positions he's played, he's played in seven different positions by the age of 21. Uh, he scored 33 goals in 130 appearances, 24 assists, six Champions League goals at the age of 21. Two man of a match appearances at Anfield, two years running. <laughs> he's, he's a future Ballon d'Or winner for me. But as regards to those kind of stats and, and those kind of achievements so far. Does that surprise you, Ali, at such an age? I mean, I think we, we all knew that this was a very special player, but for, for him to achieve so much at the age of 21, has that surprised you? Uh, surprise would be the wrong word. I'm enormously gratified and, and uh, almost relieved because we mm. knew what a talent we had. Uh, I mean, I did... I remember probably around the time of that uh, under 17th World Cup when he was just probably signing his first uh, adult contract with the club, I would imagine it would have been about then. Um, listening to one of, it's probably one of Ian Cheeseman's podcasts or something, something a bit more uh, uh, mainstream. <laughs> um, and they had, uh, the, I can't remember his name, one of the... One of the city youth club coaches was on talking about working with Phil at the age of seven, eight, nine, and telling the story of how uh, Phil Foden was playing, I think, in the under nines, um, and uh, was just destroying the the opposition, and they were like seven nil. And meanwhile, in the pitch next door, uh, the under elevens or under twelves were playing, um, and they were like four nil down. And the coaches just took Phil off one pitch <laughs> and put him onto the other, and they came back and won. And he won two games simultaneously <laughs> um, when he was playing against kids who were two or three years older than him. Um, so the club knew what they were doing then, uh, knew what they had in their hands, and we started hearing the rumours from even before you know when he was fifteen, sixteen. Uh, we'd probably all heard these rumours about this kid, this kid who was coming through, who was just on a different level to everyone else. Um, but then there was that period where uh, City and Pep in particular were getting so much nagging from the mainstream media. Um, you know, people like the 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 guys who do the five live football um, 
commentaries on Monday nights or whatever, uh, just say, oh, he's got to go out and loan. He's, he's just, he, they're wasting him. He's never going to come through. It's like, you know, he needs to learn how to play against proper football, against proper men and other, and you think now, had he gone for, you know, a year at Bournemouth and a year at QPR, uh, what kind of player would he be? And I think about players like Ryan Sessignon, who, who were, you know, supposedly generational talents around the same time. And where are they now? Yeah. Or around the world, even. Um, like Joao Felix came through around the same time and, uh, was at Benfica originally and then went to Atletico. And, uh, yeah, he's, he's a good player and there's still talent there. But has he come through in the way that Phil Foden has? Uh, no. And absolutely nobody has and no one else does. Uh, so we have to give enormous credit yet again to Pep and to Manchester City uh, for the way they handled Phil Foden. Uh, because everything that every decision they made on his future and his development turned out to be absolutely correct. And it, would have been so, yeah. it would have been so easy for them to mess it up in so many different ways. Um, even to the extent that, you know, managing his fitness and, and his well-being, I, I, I don't remember Phil ever being injured. Well, okay. The, the, I think there was one January, um, that the, the, the season where they did the all or nothing documentary, which would have been the Centurions mm. year, was it? Um, I think he was out for about three weeks in January. And that's the only time I ever remember Phil being injured. Um, and that's presumably a large part of why, uh, he's come through so, so consistently and, and improved so well, uh, in amongst everything else. Uh, so it's not a surprise because we all knew what we had in our hands and, and, uh, he is Phil Foden, but what he has achieved is absolutely phenomenal. Uh, we're talking about him being the best player on the pitch. I mean, if we're talking about him going into the best club side, one of the best club sides the world has ever seen, yeah. uh, alongside players like Kevin De Bruyne and, and Bernardo Silva and, and, you know, everyone else we've got at our disposal. And, at, when he was a teenager, when he's 20, when he's 21, stepping up and just getting man of the match performance or, or, you know, deserving man of the match performance time after time after time. Um, I don't know if anyone, I've, I've never seen any stats on, on MOT, MOTM. Um, but I would imagine that I, I don't know how many, what, what you mean, like you, the, the youngest player ever to get to 20 man of the match awards yes. or whatever. You know, yeah. There must be a statistic yeah, there about definitely. Phil Foden. And he must have absolutely destroyed everyone else. I can't believe there's anyone has ever come through and dominated game after game after game at such a young age, the way Phil Foden has. Um, and considering he's doing that alongside players like Kevin De Bruyne and Riyad Mahrez and Ryan Sterling, you know, all those other players, um, it, it should be impossible. It should not be... It, it just... Um, you couldn't write it that a, a player can come through at such an age and make such a difference. Um, we have got an absolute phenomenon on our hands. And the other, you mentioned, uh, Wayne Rooney earlier. I, mean, I think the other really significant difference between Phil Foden and every other, you know, young superstar we've seen, um, is at the age of 21, he is continuing to improve with every game. Yeah. All the time. Um, Wayne Rooney kind of, was almost at his peak, his career peak, playing the best football of his life when he was 1920. Uh, and then never really went that much further from that. Obviously, he filled out, got a bit stronger and a bit more experienced. But, uh, but he did kind of hit his heights very early. And, that, and that's quite common with the kind of wonder kid footballer. Uh, but, but there's absolutely no sign that Phil Foden is anywhere near his ceiling yet. Um, he's, 
Yeah, if you put him in a Kevin De Bruyne position, he will play like Kevin De Bruyne, as he did for England, uh, particularly. I mean, I, I know everyone says only Andorra, but you know, the, the balls he was playing, it doesn't matter which opposition you're playing. <laughs> yeah. It's as, it's as uh, difficult to, to you know, hit those wonder balls uh, against Andorra as it is against Belgium or anyone else. You know, so um, It doesn't matter where you put him, what you ask him to do, he will deliver and then some... Um, it's, it is just such a privilege and an honour and a thrill to be able to watch him week in, week out. <sighs> I love Definitely. That. You mentioned that about injuries, and it's quite notable that his you know, recent injury was on international duty. Um, and it's just occurred to me that basically the setups at the international scene right now are inferior to the setups at club level. Because so many players get injured in such a short period as well. They're only there for a week or two, aren't they? And yet, how often do players get injured on international duty compared to in the club? So, yeah, that kind of um, you know, goes back to what Aitam was saying at the top, which is kind of duty of care for players and yeah. how it's lacking. It's, it's almost like we've got a theme to this programme, yeah, it? is. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, like we know what we're doing or something. Yeah. yeah. You know what, though? <laughs> Yeah, I think I think Phil's a good example in terms of that conversation around international duty and injuries because you know what Foden's like Torres. I'm I'm a hundred percent certain that he's also going to have a little knock, and if it's international duty, he, unless the derby's coming up, unless it's mm. you know this this period of the season now, he's going to say I want to play. Yeah, yeah, and. and- He's priceless. Let's face it, he is priceless. So what we're doing is basically we're you know a museum or a, you know an exhibition loaning out this priceless artifact to this kind of inferior museum. It <laughs> really doesn't sit right with me. Um, I want to get a cu- couple of uh, Heathrow baggage handlers to look after. Him. <laughs> um, I just want to kind of dig down a bit into his skill set. I mean, you, you brought up Gaza, um, Asan, and I completely agree as, as regards to mentality. You have a chalk and cheese. Gaza was so obviously self-destructive. Um, but what really kind of strikes me is when you look at the skill set of Phil Foden and Gaza, the similarity they have is that they have quite a unique way of getting past a player. At Gaza, for, you know, it was all his arms, wasn't it? But he used them mm. as leverage. He had them very high up and he could just breeze past an opponent. Phil, it's silk. It's just, it flows. The way he goes from right to left, the way he just shifts his body from right to left, it's like nothing I've ever seen before. And I'm not exaggerating that. It, it is so smooth and so quick and so fluid. Um, and it works every time. So for me, I would say that it's his biggest asset. Um, just kind of a, the, the movement he has within that you know, one or two seconds to just shift his body weight and get past the player. Um, what else comes to mind, um, Asan, as regards to his skill set? What is he best at? Everything. You think I'm kidding, right? But I'm not. So as an attacking player, what do you, what's his range of passing? Well, he has an incredible, in, just incredible range of passing. It's up there with Kevin De Bruyne, his range of passing. Fine. So he can do that. Dribbling. I mean, we just talked about how he can beat a man. He'll, he'll dribble through you. He'll dribble round you. He'll use a piece of skill to beat you. Like, there, there's nothing he can't do. Finishing. I told you at the top, he's an incredible finisher. He, he, he really is. You know, there's just, there's, there's, there's nothing that he doesn't do at 9 out of 10 or 10 out of 10. That's what makes him... I, ge- I genuinely, I bristle at the Gaza comparisons because it's just like, you know, I'm sorry, you're damning him with, fra- with faint praise. If you want to compare him to somebody, genuinely 
compare him to Lionel Messi, right? Look at Messi's skill set. Look at Phil's skill set. There's the comparison. The comparison is not with any English player of my lifetime that's come through. It's it's a fair show. I mean, I, I think obviously it derives from the fact that, you know, Foden is England's brand totally. for, for the next Absolutely. 10 years. And so is Gazza, you know. So it, it no, really totally, just, I get it. Yeah, it, it just comes down to nationality more than anything yeah, else. Yeah, totally. Um, Ali, what can he go on to achieve at City? I mean, he's, he's on the verge of signing a six-year contract. Um, realistically, what can we expect in years to come from not just Phil, but from a City side containing Phil? Uh, I think we can expect uh, Pep Guardiola and potentially whoever comes after Pep Guardiola to build the future of Manchester City around Phil Foden. Yeah. Uh, it's what any manager would do because he is that level of talent. And when you talk about comparisons to Messi, I mean, I think that's, that's a difficult one. I'm not sure we'd go there. Um, but in both cases, you've got the kind of player that you build a team around. Yeah. Um, and that's, you know, uh, and that will be true, I think, of England as well. Um, and, and, Obviously, football is football, and and you cannot make hard and fast predictions about you know we we do not know, we do not know that City will ever win the Champions League. We don't know that England will ever win a World Cup or or Euros again. Um, but with Phil Foden uh, at the heart of their team, it's highly likely both of those things will happen or or can happen, um, and that's the level that he he's playing at. Um, in terms of his skill set, I mean, I, I said earlier he's still improving. Uh, one thing, I mean, it, it's probably relevant with the believer. <laughs> We're going from talking about winning World Cups and winning uh, uh, Champions Leagues to I'm going to talk about playing Burnley again. Uh, <laughs> I think it is relevant that when... Uh, was it against Chelsea that uh, we played him through the middle recently? Mm. He played well. He played. He was super, and he well. played well, but he didn't quite have the the influence, or or he didn't quite look as home there mm. as he did in the wing. Um, and particularly with uh, with Torres now out, and and with us not having uh, an obvious player through the middle, and and as as we said earlier, it's quite likely Jesus won't play tomorrow as well. Um, I wouldn't be at all surprised if either. Uh, Foden or Grealish again end up playing through the middle against Burnley um, and I would like to see him doing that job a bit more because I think he's still got a bit of learning to do there um, and I think if we can get him delivering the kind of performances in, in a false nine position that he produces on particularly the left wing but also yeah, in the in the, in the the eight or, or whatever else you put him in the pitch uh, then that will be another string to his bow that, you know, that will be yeah, yet another um, kind of achievement unlocked in in the development of Phil Foden. So uh, it's a bit difficult because on the one hand, you maybe don't want to position him where he's apparently not at his strongest yet. On the other hand, maybe he won't get to be you know, as, as as fully devastating in that position without a bit a few more games. And uh, yeah, we've got to be fair to, to any footballer, whoever you are, you, you do need a little bit of time to settle into a position and that's probably true of him as well. So uh, there, there's still scope for, for development there. Uh, remarkable though that seems. Um, and if Phil can deliver as a number 10 uh, or, or for that matter, as a false nine, the way he does as a winger as a number eight, then we really do have a, a Messi in our hands. Um, the other thing to say is I think when you, judge a player it's sort of with the weight of their achievement behind them always mm. and so it's very hard to compare a, a 21 year old to you know 
uh, a, a 34 year old or, or who, you know, whoever else, because that's all part of the package. And, and actually, uh, a player's achievements are one way in which you judge just how good they are. And, and uh, Phil hasn't quite got the the level of some others in in world football, but he's not far behind it. Obviously, he's catching up very fast. Uh, so, uh, yeah, trying really hard not to to lean back on all the cliches. But here's one: yeah, the sky is the limit. Yeah, the, yeah. He has no ceiling. There, there, there is nothing Phil Foden cannot do, uh, and there is nothing Phil Foden cannot achieve with yeah a bit of yeah good fortune and a following wind um, and the right management and, and yeah team support and, and all the rest of it behind him as well. Well, certainly. Well, sorry, I just want to kind of end today with, with, with yourself because I know how I feel about Phil Foden. Um, and I, I should imagine it's very similar to Ali, you know. But with you, it, it goes a bit more beyond. And the same goes for Lloyd too because Foden is a local lad to you. You know, I can't even imagine mm. what that was like, you know, a, a mile or two away. So we've all been privileged to see this club sign some truly great players, David. KDB and these are players we've admired and truly loved. How much more special is it though when a talent comes through of the same ilk who derives from Stockport and is a lifelong blue such as yourself? I don't think that I really I don't think I really knew what it was until, uh, I don't mind telling this story, when he scored the goal that he did against Dortmund right, I I burst into tears and I didn't realise I was crying until Claire, my wife, went, why are you crying? And I was like, look at what Phil just did. And she was like, yeah, but why are you crying? And I realized in that moment that it's because he's, you know, grew up in Stockport, right? He grew up in Stockport. There's no, like, the best a player who, in my opinion, will one day be considered the best footballer on the planet grew up in Edgeley. Do you know what I mean? That's... (laughs) That's what makes it that there's the there's the talent, there's all of the things that he does, and then you're absolutely right. What makes me so passionate about Phil Foden? Stop Paul lad. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, uh, it's it's wild that a place that has been so roundly mocked by so many people for so long has produced the greatest footballer England has produced in my lifetime. Well, I think that's a perfect way to end. Um, thank you very much for joining us today, Exam. Oh, man, I loved it. And thank you, as always, Ali. Always a pleasure. Thanks. And thanks, everyone, for listening in. Um, that's a wrap for today, folks. We're off to get ourselves reacquainted with the Premier League table. United and Ronaldo, they must be top, right? In the meantime, take care of yourselves. Be well and forever up the Blues. <laughs>